and amen. Please have a seat. Now, for those of you who are new, it can freak you out when people get all excited about God. Isn't that true? I know when I first came around, it totally freaked me out. Like hearing people scream and pray like that. Because everybody knows you're supposed to pray quietly and, and only on the trains. <laughs> and, um, yeah. And so we know that right now. But, but the truth is, right, you go to Yankee Stadium, people lose their minds. Right? You go, you go right? You go to... Uh, you go to, is it City Field, Shea? City Field? Yeah, you go to City Field. I hear that the Mets did all right, right? They're in the playoffs, right? Right. I know nothing about sports. My mother, who can't even speak English, knows more about sports than I do. That's, it's a mess. But yeah, no, it's wonderful when we get together and we praise, because we're excited. We're, we, we should be, of all people, of all people, we should be the most excited. We should be the most enthused because we don't have a team that may or may not win the World Series. We don't have a, a team that may or may not do well for us. We have a God who is always present, who always loves, who is always considerate. Awesome. So um, we're going to get into today's message. But I want to I pray for us again because I want God to really move in our hearts. Uh, what his word says. So would you pray with me? I know we've prayed several times already, but it's, right, what'd you expect, right? We're going to pray, right? So let's pray. Father, I am so grateful for you. I'm grateful, Lord, that even, uh, Lord, I think of myself like 20 years ago making my first church service and how uncomfortable the whole thing felt and how desperate I was, desperate enough even to come to you. And so, Lord, I know I'm not silly. I, I know that there are people here just like that. And so in a room this size, Lord, with this many people here, we know that there are those of us here who are just hanging on by a string, those of us here whose lives and workplaces and marriages and romances and families, they're falling apart. And we just need, we just need a miracle. And so, Lord, we ask for that miracle, but we ask that you would come yourself. Don't send any angel, for this is no time for boys. We need to see Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage those who are downcast, brokenhearted, hurting and wounded, reeling from a loss, and wondering, when is it all going to end? Lord, I pray that you encourage them. And Lord, I also pray that you humble those who think that they don't need you, who are within the sound of my voice and yet don't feel any pressing uh, desire or need. They've supplied all of the joy that they need in their lives. I pray that you would open their hearts, that you would bring them low, that you would help them to see that you are great and wonderful. And Lord, as a congregation, I pray that you would humble us, to love one another better than we love ourselves. So thank you. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We've been in a series called The Way of Love. It's one of the most important series we've ever done here at the Recovery House of Worship. What we want to do is we're asking God to grow not only our love, but grow our capacity to love. 
want to be greater lovers than we are presently. Last week, if you were here, if you weren't here, how can I say? You missed it. It was awesome. Uh, you should have been here. Um, last year, last year, <laughs> last week, um, we said the big idea was that love must be experienced before it's expressed because the love that we received when we were children, the love that we received growing up, perhaps is not the love that will serve us well throughout life. It's not the love that will bring us joy. It's not the love that will bring joy to the others that we love. It's, we've got to experience it. And we said, if you're in Christ, you experience love in Christ. And that your ability to give love is directly connected to your ability to have received that very same love from Jesus. So if you want, I mean, and I encourage you, we have it on website, we have it on Vimeo, we have it, like, it's, it's, it's in different places, podcast, you can go on the internet and you can, I encourage you to go back so, um, to catch up and find out, because the way we do series in this church is that we do, like, part one, and that gives you a little bit of information, part two, that gives you a little bit more, part three, and so on, and you put them all together and it's like, oh, okay, now I get it, I get it, this is what love is. Well, um, we're today in part four, and today I'm begging God to help us to understand deeper what love is, how we can express it, and how we've already received it from Christ. It's an important, important message. You know why this is so important? Because the joy that you'll experience throughout life is directly connected to the amount of love you can give and receive. Your joy in life, like everybody wants to be happy. Who here wants to be happy? Raise your hand if you want to be happy, right? Yeah, it's like, like maybe t like half of us, right, want to be happy. The rest of us would like to be miserable, thank you very much. And that's cool, um, to each his own. And so, but the fact is, is that everybody I've ever met just wants to be, right? You want to be happiness. You want to have happiness. You want to experience happiness. Well, your ability to experience happiness is directly connected to your ability to receive love and give love. It's directly connected. In fact, the, the happiest people in the world are not the people with the most wealth. They're not the people with the fancy cars. They're not the, these are not the happiest people in the world. The happiest people in the world are those who have received and dispense love in the freest way. And so these messages are for your joy. You, you know why? Because your marriage, your marriage is going to need love. You know what? Your friendships, your friendships are going to need love. You know why you have to listen today? Because if you don't listen today, the degree of the relationships that you have, whether friendship, work, or romantic, the degree of relationship that you have will point the trajectory of your joy throughout life. We're fighting for joy here. So I want you to put your thinking caps on because we're going we're gonna to dive deep today. We're going to go into God's scriptures, and we're not going to stay in the kiddie part of the pool. We're going to go into the deep part of the pool. Uh, we're going to read uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Now, before we do read it, you can find it. If you didn't bring your Bible, if you're like me, the first time I ever um, came to a church, I did not own a Bible, therefore I did not bring a Bible. We've thought about you. In your bulletin, you'll have uh, 
your, the scriptures that we're going to work with. Um, and if you're over 40 and can't see the font, we're going to have on the screen uh, for those of you who, so you could see the font. Okay, so we're thinking of you. We're thinking of you. Um, but we're going to, listen to me. Listen, all right, I know a lot of you are over 40. You don't have to share with anybody else. Okay, now listen, I want you to come back here. Come back here. Okay, so Paul, he's writing to the Corinthian people. And we said this before, but we'll say it again. Paul is in the middle of a, of a section, chapter 12, chapter 13, chapter 14. In the very middle of that section, chapter 13, Paul, when speaking of service, puts right in the middle of that a chapter on love. Because God knows, God knows that if we're to serve anyone, we're going to need to increase our love. We're going to need to walk in love. We're going to need to experience love if we're going to serve others. Now, this is important for the Recovery House of Worship because, guys, listen, we have a lot of people here from a lot of different walks of life. Like, right now, in this room, we have... Uh, Man, we have nurses, doctors, lawyers. We have people who were president of uh, Doubleday, uh, editing in Doubleday. And we have people who have one or two days clean or maybe uh, no days clean who are using and are experiencing a great sense of self-torment. We have everybody in between. We have people who are living in nice homes and people who are uh, sleeping on the train. So in a church like Recovery House of Worship, which I totally, have I told you lately that I love you? I love you guys. I love our church. I love you guys. In a church like Recovery House of Worship, we are going to need to be the most loving people in the world because we come from different backgrounds and different walks. And it's easy. Imagine this. It's easy for a person to have lived a terrible life and then two years later be in Recovery House of Worship and have a fantastic job and look totally different and you would never guess it and look down on a person who comes in who's living a mess of a life. So in our church, we don't just want to grow in numbers, although we believe that the message of Jesus Christ deserves greater audience. Of course we want to grow in numbers. But we also want to grow in love. We want to grow in love that the, God has bestowed upon us, and we want to grow in the love that we share with others. And so that's why this message is so important, and that's where we find ourselves. We're going to read verses 4 through 7. I know we discussed last week verses 4 through 7, but we did it from a 30,000-foot view. Now we're going to zero in, come on the ground floor. Are you ready? All right, let's stand. Now, the reason that we stand, if you're new, the reason that we stand is because we really think that God's word is awesome. And um, we want to give ourselves the opportunity to remind ourselves that God's word is high and holy and wonderful. And so we really do reverence God's word. That's why we stand um, as we read God's word. So on the count of three, we'll all read this together. This should be familiar to you. One, two, three. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Amen. Amen. This is God's word. Please have a seat. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at each one of these phrases of what love is and what love is not. And as we look at it, we're going to ask, how can we apply this in our lives? But now here's the deal. Here's the deal. I've been begging Jesus. I've been begging Jesus to help me to explain this to us in a way in a way that doesn't make you more religious. It's very easy to look at this list and look at it like a checklist and go, oh, oh, look at me. I was patient. Oh, look at me. I was kind. Look at me. I don't envy. And you walk away farther from Christ than you did before you got to the service. See, this is not meant to inspire you to a checklist. This is meant to crush you so that you might see your need for Jesus. If you look at this list and are inspired, if you look at this list and you go, oh, yeah, oh, oh, oh this is exactly who I am, you're not thinking hard enough. You're not being reflective enough. So what I want us to do as the body of Christ, I want us to see this list not, and just what we said yesterday, this list, uh, last week rather, this list is not a checklist. This list is a reflection of God's love for you and me. This explains how Christ has loved us. Now, in the time when Paul is writing this letter, he's writing to the Corinthians, and interestingly enough, Paul writes what the Corinthians are not doing. I was actually, that's why you see, it does not envy. You know why? Because the Corinthian church was envying each other. It says, you know, it does not dishonor others. You know why? Because the Corinthian church was dishonoring others. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool if we put up a, a chalkboard here and we said, what is the Recovery House of Worship Brooklyn doing are not doing here. Like if we had to put up a list and say, hey, love is patient. You know why? Because the Corinthian church is patient. Well, would we put that up? We might put up something like, love is not super sensitive. Yeah, nobody here. So you never see yourself as super sensitive. This is the most super sensitive crowd in the history of the world. You understand that, right? Hypersensitive, right? Walk past somebody, you're blind. You walk past somebody, you didn't hug them. They're like, they didn't hug me. They can't see. <laughs> it's like, no, they didn't hug me. Oh, my gosh. But what would we put down? What would we put down? Maybe we would put things that would break our heart. Maybe we would put things that would hurt our, our souls. Paul is talking about the people that he's addressing. What would God say about us? I don't know. But let's read. So first thing, um, oh, and by the way, uh, we're going to have some sort of definitions up. I got them from an old, old uh, pastor. He's dead now. Um, his name is Charles Hodge, but we still have his writings, right? Like he wrote commentaries. He wrote one of the best commentaries on 1 Corinthians. So I got it from him and another commentary that 
I couldn't get the, the name of uh, soon enough. But this is mostly from Charles Hodge. So let's look at the first, all right, let's put on our thinking caps and let's look at the first thing that Paul says. Love is patient. Now, when Paul says love is patient, he's saying uh, that it's not quick to assert its rights to, or to resent an injury. Do you see it up there? It's love is patient. It, that is, not quick to assert its rights or to resent an injury. Love is patient. That means that love has a passive absorption. Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, to say that love is patient is to say that I am going to absorb some things that I know you and I, you're going to do things that hurt me. You're going to do things. I know that. If we're in a relationship, and it's not a superficial one, like if you're not the newspaper guy, and I'm not talking to you about, boy, those Mets, aren't they doing great, and how are you doing? If we actually have a real relationship, you're going to hurt my feelings. I bet you a million bucks I'm going to hurt yours. That if we're in that kind of relationship, we're going to need, we're going to require this thing that is patient, which is not quick to assert its rights. Do you see that? Because when we get hurt, but you know what, I don't deserve that, and you know what, I'm, and we, we're quick, we're quick to assert our rights. But love is patient. Love doesn't assert its rights. Love not only patient, love is kind. Now, just like patient is passive, in other words, patient is just, you know, is receiving, it's passive. Kindness is active, and that is, it's inclined to perform good deeds. The root of the Greek verb means useful, and hence its primary sense is disposed to be useful. So not just being patient with somebody, oh man, uh, Jimmy's late again, but being kind and going, hey Jimmy, can I, can I pick you up? Can I call? I know you, you have a problem with being on time. How can I help you? The, uh, Susie, can I watch your kids while you get ready? Because I know you're super busy. It's, I'm not just patient. I'm kind. I'm kind. And love is patient and kind. That's what love is. But not only is it patient and kind, it does not envy. This verb can have a positive or negative sense. This is important, especially for our congregation. It can be intense negative feelings over another's achievement or success. Or intense positive interest in something. So now, look up at me. So, love does not envy. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this um, happen, or the opposite of this happen in our church. It's something like this. You know, I've been doing the right thing for three years, and so-and-so just got here, and they got the marriage and the car, and you know, their family's back together, and they got the raise at the job, and rather than that person going, isn't God great? He gives gifts to undeserving people. I'm so grateful for them. You know what the next line is? The next line is, man, 
why don't that happen to me? It's actually not praising God for his good gifts to others, but resenting God for not giving those gifts to them. It's a painful thing. It's a painful, but love doesn't envy. Why would you do that? There's another version of this, and this is the negative sense, or this is the positive sense. It's wanting too much a position or a status. So let me tell you what I mean by this, right? It used to be, and I still do this a lot. This is not used to be. This, I still wrestle with this. When I would hear another preacher, I would go, you know, why can't I be like that? You know, why can't I preach like that, like them? Why can't I have that kind of dynamic uh, ability? It's called envy. And it's not of God. Maybe you're sitting here and you're saying, you know, why aren't I in this, uh, why aren't they using me to speak? Or why aren't I leading this? Or why aren't I a part of this? And, and it's envy. And God has to convict you of that. It is not proud. And that's simply to say arrogant. It doesn't, love doesn't have this way of looking at itself and going, well, look at, look at all I've done. Look at where I'm at. Look at how far I've come. You know, that's the anti-love. That is the opposite of love. Love recognizes that every gift it's ever received, this is why humility is so easy for the Christian. The Christian never looks at the addict, never looks at the homeless, never looks at the, that, at, at the, the relapser, the Christian never looks at them and go, why can't you get it? Why can't you just do it? Come on, get on your feet, do better, try harder. The Christian never does that because the Christian recognizes that it's only Jesus who has done this work in our hearts. The Christian realizes that goes, oh my gosh, is that what I looked like last week when I was falling into my sin? Let me help my brother or sister. The Christian is easy to be humble because he recognizes that nothing good comes from him, but all good comes from Christ. Does not boast, is not proud. It is not rude. Now, rude is not just, although, let me just say, <laughs> it's not just uh, this, like, you know, being snarky, you know what I mean? Like, how rude, you know, like, you know, you're, somebody's having a conversation with somebody, and you come in the middle of the conversation, and you hug one person, and then you leave, and it's like, you know, hey, hey, that was rude. Take that as a lesson. Half of you do this every week, okay? Okay, just, so it's not rude, but it doesn't act indecently. It doesn't, it doesn't behave in a way that is, um, yeah, that is a sinful pursuit of your fleshly desires. Feeling good yet? <laughs> it is not, it's going to get better. It's only going to get better. Um, it is not self-seeking. That means it seeks its own advantage. Love doesn't seek its own advantage. Love doesn't look for itself to be the one that is hailed and praised. It doesn't look for, um, to, to get the applause. Or 
It doesn't do it. It doesn't do it. Love is not self-seeking. Love rather seeks for the good of others. It doesn't just look for the good of my kids. It looks for the good of the community. So um, I have a, a daughter. An example of this is like I have a daughter, right? And she's going to this school that's not just atheists. They're like anti-theists, right? They're anti-God, right? They don't just not believe in God. They're anti-God. First day of school, no teacher. And the, the students are already talking about how science disproves any need for God. And if you're here and you believe that, that's cool. I'd love to talk to you after the service because I would, I would wonder how you could scientifically come up with that statement because you cannot disprove scientifically that God does not exist. That is, that is not a scientific statement. It's an erroneous one. But that's the kind of arguments that they're having in the school. And so as a father, I'm equipping her. I'm going, okay, here's a book to read. Here's a thing. But and then I'm also talking to her. There are kids in that class who are struggling, who grew up in churches just like this, and they need a champion. And, and she could be the champion that helps their faith. Why? Because it's not just about my kid. It's about our kids, right? It's not just about our families. It's about their families. It's not just about our church. It's about the church as a whole. Recovery House of Worship needs to be concerned about all churches in all places because when the church wins, we win. So it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. Let's go to the next one. It is not easily angered. Oy vey. That is, it does not go into fits. Of, let's read this together. Okay? On the count of three. Let's read this together. One, two, three. It is not easily angered. That is, it does not go into fits of anger nor does it provoke anger in others with its irritability. Now, I want you to know that part A is usually married to part B. Do you see that? Right? That, the person who goes into fits is usually married to the person who provokes anger. Have you ever seen that? Like, you know, in, in marriages you see, uh, you know, a person go, well, she just knows how to push my buttons. I bet she does. Well, he just doesn't know when to stop, I'm sure. But that's what it means, is not easily angered. You see, the Bible is telling us that when, when one is walking in Christ, one is walking in love, that they're not easily provoked and that they don't themselves provoke. Which one are you? Are you, let me ask you something, are you the stick of dynamite? Are you the, the match? Which one are you? It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, here, the Greek may mean either one of these three. It does not plan or devise evil. It does not attribute evil motives to others or is not suspicious. Instead of being resentful, it is forgiving. Now let's look at these really quickly, right? It can't mean all three, but I'm not sure which one it means, so we'll, we'll just look at it quickly. It does not plan or devise evil. That's easy, right? You're not, you're not talking to the person at work and going, oh, where are we going to meet? Oh, you know, with your spouse, you know, in the other room. You're not devising evil. 
right? You're not leaving here and going, oh, man, I can't wait till I do this sin. You're not devising evil. Love doesn't do that. It does not attribute evil motives to others, nor is it suspicious. This is super important for us. When we are wronged, part of the offense is that we have to fill in the blanks for why people do what they do. We have to fill in the blanks. You know why she did that? Because she's jealous. You know why they did that? Because their mean spirit. And could, you couldn't be further from the truth. They could just be fractured and broken and be trying to do something kind and it coming across as wrong. They could actually be trying to help and be hurting. You have no idea. But love, it doesn't attribute motives. You know what love does? I don't know why they did that. I'm going to love on them and I'm going to work with them and talk to them and see where that goes. And then instead of being resentful, it is forgiving. Literally, it doesn't keep the books. It doesn't keep the books. In other words, you know, like if you, if you have an accountant, you know how he has the books, right? And you write into the books and, okay. Well, it's not, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil. Love does not delight in evil. That is, in anything that is not conformed to the standard of right includes all forms of moral evil. We don't delight when our enemies uh, get payback for what we think they deserve. We don't delight when the person who was going for the job, the same job we were going for, has a family tragedy and pulls out. We don't delight in evil. We're crushed by evil. We're broken by evil. Love does that. But rejoices with the truth. That is, it sympathizes with and has a common joy with it. So rejoices with the truth. It celebrates all that God is doing, even when God is not doing it for us. Isn't that good news? That's what love does. Now, it always protects always trusts, always hopes, always uh, perseveres. So to say that it always protects is to say that love, love looks out for the weak and the broken and the defenseless. So you and I cannot say, well, that shooting didn't happen in our neighborhood or that, that situation didn't happen with our people, man, the, the, the United States experienced a terrible tragedy in Oregon. Some kids just went to school, and somebody opened, man. There's a story of this one guy who, and I'm sure you heard of him, he's a uh, a veteran, not a, is he a veteran? I know he was in the, uh, it was in the Army or the Marine Armed Forces. And he took seven bullets in trying to help and uh, save others. Seven bullets. Man, sometimes I won't take an insult for the week. You know, I'll hear a joke about a nationality. I'll hear a joke. This is me. This might not be you. This is me. I'll hear a joke an off-color joke, and I won't even take an insult. This guy took seven bullets to save others. You know why? Love protects. 
always protects it, always trusts. That is to say, it's not suspicious, but readily credits what people say in their own defense. It readily credits what people say in their own defense. In other words, if your spouse says, um, it says something, you take it at face value. You go, you know what, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you until you've proven otherwise. I'm going to trust you. I'm not going to hold this. Well, how do I know that they, well, you know because they told you. They go, yeah, but they've lied to me before. Well, okay, well, now we have another issue, don't we? Why do you stick with people who lie to you, right? But if, if they're your spouse or if they're your friend or if they're, and you're working with them in Christ, then, then trust. Trust comes in. Always hopes. That is, it hopes for the best with regard to everyone. It always hopes. That's why when the Recovery House of Worship, when we have people here who have blown it and have gone all wrong and have done all wrong and all that other stuff, we still hope. We still, we still say, there's hope. There's nobody. Nobody in this room should ever say, oh, that marriage, oh, it's hopeless. Oh, that individual, they're hopeless. Oh, that thing that that person struggles with, it's hopeless. We should always hope because our hope in the end is found in Christ. And if Christ could bring a grimy, low-down scoundrel like you to himself, then surely he can do it with anyone else. Love always perseveres. The Greek word is really a military word and means to sustain the assault of an enemy. I tell you, this is absolutely true in the Recovery House of Worship. If you come long enough to the Recovery House of Worship, you're going you're gonna to experience friendly fire. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You're going to experience where people hurt you and wound you and hurt your feelings and, and all that other stuff. And you know what love does? Love doesn't go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to... I'm gonna, you know what, there's that sexy new church with the great worship and the fantastic speaker. I'm picking up my toys and going over there. That's not what love does. That's silly. That's silly. That's immature. That's not what love does. Now, I've just shared this with you in the most legalistic way I know how. You should all be feeling pretty terrible right now. Because... This is not a list for you to do. I wanted you to see that you can't possibly, you don't do this. I don't do this. Ask my wife. I don't do this, and neither do you. You should be feeling convicted now. The point of this list is that Jesus has done this list for you. And because he has done this list for you, he can also do this list through you. Does this make sense? This is where the sermon actually starts getting good and you can actually sit and rest in the love and the joy and the salvation that Christ has. Christ knows that you don't have patience enough to deal with the people. So what he does is that he was patient with you so that he can be patient through you. So Christ is patient with you. He says, oh my gosh, look at how he's treating his wife. But I've, and then he brings you back in prayer and he says, Oh, man, how patient was I with you? Yeah, but over and over and over, they keep on getting this thing wrong. Hey, buddy, I waited for you for 32 years. You know, you've just been arguing about this for three years. I've waited for 32. 
How long, how long, oh God, must I put up with this kind of, oh, well, let's ask the question, how long did I put up with you? Okay, another question. Because <laughs> uh, the point is, you and I don't, but Jesus does. Now, let's go through this, and let's look at it from Christ's perspective of love onto you. Not you unto others, but Christ unto you. Let's see how it works now. Love is patient. Has Christ been patient with you? Love is kind. Is he inclined to perform good deeds for you? Are you kidding me? The fact that you just had a yes to say is a testimony to his kindness. Love does not envy. I can assure you, Christ is not envying you, but he's looking for you to glorify him and bring you joy. Um, It does not boast. Not only does Christ not boast, but he humbles himself so that you and I could be lifted up and have relationship with him forever. You go, but you don't understand. You don't understand. I'm so full of sin, and you don't understand. He's so full of grace. So full of love. Love is. Love is patient. It's kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. You want to talk about not proud. Jesus came from heaven to earth. I mean, when I go to places and they treat me disrespectfully, in my head, not always out loud, but in my head, you go, you don't know who you're dealing with. In my head, because I know better now, right? I know enough to at least hold it in, right? I go, you don't know who you're dealing with. Man, Jesus was the only one who could truly say that and yet never even thought it. He said, oh, I'm not. I, I, I love you. I've been, I've been in a love relationship with the Spirit and the Father for all of eternity, and I'm just going to outpour. So, there's no room for pride there. There's no room for being made. Think about this. Jesus is God, and the Bible says that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Think about that for a second. That will blow, that would explode your brain. Jesus is God. Jesus, who in the very, it's uh, in Philippians chapter 2, I believe verses 5 through 11, um, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself of no reputation. Imagine that. The king of the universe, the one who created it all, said, I don't count it a loss. I don't count it a loss to lose everything. All the respect of the entire world that I created, I don't count it a loss. Because he was thinking about you. Love does that. It is not rude. No indecency from Jesus. It is not self-seeking. Jesus not only did not seek his own good, but he sought your good to the point of death. It keeps no record of wrongs. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that God says, I'll throw your sins into the sea of forgetfulness? Aren't you glad that God says, I will remember your sins no more? Now, when God says, I will remember your sins no more, it's not like God forgot something because God is all-knowing, and so if he forgot that, then he would not know a particular thing. What the Bible is saying is when God says, I'll throw your sins into the sea of forgetfulness, is God is saying, I'll never bring it up. Oh, marriages, can we hold on to that for a second? I'll never bring it up. I I know 
that's true about you, but I'm not going to suggest it. I'm not going to insinuate it. I'll never bring it up. Holds no records of wrongs. I'm closing the books. Oh, man, if we could apply just that in our workplaces, we could apply that with our children. If we could apply that to, oh, my gosh, if we could apply that to how God has treated us, we would have greater joy. You would walk with less shame. Because when Satan reminds you of your past, you can tell him about his future. Because God has forgiven you of all and will hold no record against you. Oh, but you don't understand what I've done yet. But he knows better than you do what you've done. Oh, it's a great love. Keeps no records of wrong. It does not delight in evil. Rather, Jesus wept over the sins of the world but rejoices with the truth. Jesus is the truth. Always protects, oh my, it's protecting you and I from the wrath of God in hell by sacrificing himself, threw himself on the landmine. Always trusts, entrusts us to share. You know that Jesus has no plan B to share the gospel with the broken world than you? That's a level of trust that's difficult to embrace and understand. You are Jesus' only plan for sharing the gospel love of Jesus Christ with the rest of the world. Incredible. Always hopes. Always perseveres. Jesus persevered to the end. Now, as you hear this, you should be recognizing the immense love that God has bestowed upon you. And he's bestowed this upon you so that you could not only experience. Remember what we talked about last week? That's why we needed last week's foundation. Remember, God is not asking you to give anything away that you haven't received already. And so Jesus then says he has a fountain from all of eternity that can pour into you the love that you need for others. So um, it it, it sort of looks like this. All right, Uh, somebody come up here. Uh, Okay, you guys, come up here, come up here. All right, so what it's like is, these are the, uh, so Jesus, okay, come on up. All right, so you stand here, Rob. Okay, you stay here, John. Okay, so I'm Jesus, right? And John recognizes that he doesn't have patience and he's not kind and he's envious. He, He looks through this list. Oh, don't laugh at John. That's you too, sucker. Listen. And so John recognizes as he looks through this list how desperately he needs Christ, right? And so John does what every good Christian ought to do. He doesn't try harder. He runs to the only one who could save him from his wickedness. So he runs to Christ. And so as John runs to Christ, I go, John, here, I'm going to give you some more. Listen, you need more. You need more love. You need more patience. You need more kindness. You need more goodness. You need more faith. Man, you just need more. And just, oh, man, listen. I'm going to give you so much that you just, you really, you, you won't be able to contain it all. It's just, man, just, I want you to, I want you to be like Christ to a broken world. And John, listen, John is the, ha- stay here, John. Stay here, John. No, no. John 
John is overjoyed with the love of Christ. John is overjoyed with the love of Christ, knowing that he wouldn't be able to have the sweet things that he has now, the patience, the not envying. He knows this would not exist if Jesus hadn't graciously bestowed it, poured it all over him. And John is enjoying Christ, going, knowing that he's a wicked man, but he's received good gifts from a kind king. Then what happens is John has interaction with his boss, his friend, his, his kid, his wife, his, you know, whoever this represents. It's the person that, that uh, John has interaction with. And so John is there, and he's being asked to be uh, kind. He's being asked to be kind because uh, Rob is not being kind. He's, he's taxing uh, John's kindness. Now watch this. Watch this. John, what I want you to do is I want you to share one of the good things that I shared, bestowed upon you. Now, at that point, John has two options. He can say, but they don't deserve any apples. They don't deserve any kindness or patience or love. They don't deserve any, no, I'm going to envy them because, you know, I've been around longer and they, they just came around. No, no, they don't deserve that. John can hold all the blessings to himself. You know what happens with apples if you hold on to them long enough? They spoil. They spoil. And so, and so I go, to, oh man, John, I've given you so much. Could you share one apple? And he goes like that. And he goes, oh man. And now there's a level of joy. Now, Rob may or may not know Christ, but he's experienced the joy and the love of Christ through John. John uh, uh, Rob may or may not be surrendered to Jesus, but he just experienced the love of Christ in his life through John. You see, you don't have the love. The apples were never yours. And when you look at this list and think that the apples are yours and that you have to give them to others, then you go away angry and upset because you don't have any more patience. You don't have any more kindness. You deserve the raise. You don't, you don't have what it takes. And what God is saying is like, I got more. You want more? I got more. You ain't got enough pockets to fill with all the kind, loving things. So now what happens, right? So, right, so it's his job, and, and so what happens? All day long, all day long, he has to give now to his employer, to his workplace, all day long. Just keep on giving him all the apples. And so all day long, as this happens, you go throughout the day, and you go, and there comes a point where you go, oh, man, I feel like, I feel like I don't have any more apples. I feel like I gave away all the patience that I had. You know what John does? John spends more time with Jesus and goes, Jesus, you know, I need more patience. Would you remind me of the patience that you bestowed upon me? Because it's not about going to Jesus and going, oh, Jesus, give me more patience for this person. I'm about to, you know, it's not about praying like that. It's about seeing, Jesus, is this how you feel when I rebel against you? Is this the kind of impatience that you feel when I, is this how, the hurt that you feel when I do this very same thing that they're doing to me, when I do it to you, 
And Jesus goes, yeah, man, that's exactly how I feel. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to hold it against you. I'm going to give you more. You just need more. More love. More love that comes from God. More love. More love. More love. More than you could ever bestow. More than you could ever hold. More than you could ever take in. Over and over and over again. This is not a list of what you can do better. This is a strategy of prayer so that you might be able to come to Jesus and beg him for what only he can give. Thank you very much. Give these guys an applause. They did a great job. So, okay, we're going to close. We're going to close. All right. Here it is, guys. I have something for you to do this week, okay? Now, you and I recognize that when we receive love from Christ, we are unworthy people receiving. It's, we're not receiving God's love because we're good and because we stopped using and because we're kind and because of all that stuff. We're receiving God's love because he's abundantly gracious and loving and kind. Agreed? Okay, now watch this. He gives us what we do not deserve. He gives us what we do not deserve. So my question to you then, and listen, I want you to ask this in your small groups. If you attend uh, the women's small group or the men's small groups, if you, um, if you have a, a, a marriage small group or any other small group, maybe... Right behind here, you sit at a table where three people always sit at the table. Or maybe you play chess. I want you to talk about this. What person needs Jesus' love the most but deserves it the least? What person in your life, hey, let's, let's ask it this way. What person in your household needs the love that Jesus has bestowed upon you? What person needs it the most but deserves it the least? What person in your workplace needs the love of Christ the most but deserves it the least? What person, what person in your, in your friendships, what person needs the love of God the most, and they're only going to get it from you. What person needs that the most but deserves it the least? Do you have a name? Do you have two? Maybe a few? What I want you to do this week, man, I pray that you do this. I know that if you do this, you'll be blessed. What you're going to do is you're going to go to God with how you feel they've wounded you. Man, they disrespect me. They don't talk right to me. You know, they don't understand me. Whatever it is, I don't know. You know. And I want you to go, God, how do I behave the way they're behaving towards me? How do I behave this way towards you? And then I want you to experience God's love. And because you've experienced God's, you, the least of all, we, the least of all people who deserve it. Because we've received it, we can give it. Because Jesus, who is the greatest, loved those of us 
the most, who deserved it the least. God's love is for you, and God's love wants to work through you. Would you wrestle with that question this week? Do you have the person in your mind? Are you committed to loving them? Ask God to help you. Help you to see your own sin and wickedness and then overflow his love that has flowed into your heart onto the lives of others. I'm telling you. If you do this, let me tell you what will happen. Let me tell you what will happen. Your marriages will never be the same. Your marriages will never be the same. If you do this, your relationship with kids, with your kids, will never be the same. If you do this, you'll change the work environment that you live in. If you do this, listen to me, if you do this, even if the people around you don't change, you'll be transformed. Transformed to look like Jesus. I pray that for you. I pray that for you. So let me ask you, are you too good for that? Are you deciding that you're not going to do that? Oh, yeah, that's for everybody else. Is there no one? Surrender. Ask Jesus. If you don't know Christ, come to him now and say, Jesus, I don't even know where to begin. I know I've gone from you. I need to know you. He'll speak to you. My prayer is that you would surrender to the will of Christ in the love of Christ and that others would experience that love as a direct result. Now, Gus, in a few moments, is going to lead us in communion. My prayer for you is that as you would think about your loving relationship with Christ, ask him about the same, about forgiveness, about the same things that you feel have been done against you. That's my prayer for you. Who in your life needs Jesus' love the most but deserves it the least? I pray you have someone you thought of. I'm going to pray for you, and Gus is going to lead us um, in communion. Father, I do thank you for this time together. I thank you that you are a good and gracious God, one who's worthy of praise and one who's worthy of all adoration. Lord, the fact is is that we don't see ourselves for as sinful as we really are. And so, Lord, would you just transform us to be a people who are broken and a people who desperately need you? Not going to you saying, Give us more patience so we could deal with these wicked people, but that we would go to you saying, Lord, we are just as wicked as they are. Show me the patience that you've showed me in my wickedness and let it overflow in my heart for them. In all ways, love. Help that to be true in my heart. Help that to be true in my life. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you.